You are listening to the Stall Collective podcast, part two of episode five. Is it very common for you to to land on one of uh, on a virgin spot and then and then see a lot of wild animals around, even polar bears or something like that? Uh, well, everything except polar bears. <laughs> and polar bears are extremely rare. I mean. These uh, you have to be basically be lucky to see to see one in, mm. in the wild. Uh, at least in my corners of Greenland. If you mm. go to the east coast of Greenland, that's a different story. Then you'll see them, oh. and you have to be careful out there. But here in the west coast, uh, you you rarely see them. Uh, it's a but, good but news. you do see them. Yeah, but you do see them actually. So uh, they they come by every year. There has just been uh, three polar bears. Just uh, what? couple of months ago a little bit further south actually the area i was just talking about earlier with this american old american military base that's closed down they actually spotted three bears down there and they kept coming back to the small settlement and they tried to scare them away and they actually ended up having to shooting them because they were they were a danger to the the community down there so so you you see them but it's rare but uh, that doesn't mean that uh, You, you should ignore it. So yeah. <laughs> bring a weapon when you fly in these areas of the world. Uh, so it's, it's, it's something you have to take serious. But when you look at the reindeer and uh, hares and all sorts of birds, including a lot of eagles uh, and, of course, muskoks, you see those all the time. I mean, uh, there are more reindeers uh, in my backyard than there, than there are people here in town. So, uh, <laughs> So that, that, that's very common, and uh, we have a hunting season from 1st of August to 1st of October, mm -hmm. where you can uh, actually there is so many reindeer today. So if if you live permanently in Greenland, there is no quota anymore, meaning that you can actually shoot as many reindeer as you can uh, have in your fridge. Wow! <laughs> so in the earlier days, you had to have a quota. You mean you had to apply to be able to shoot one, but there is an overpopulation of reindeer at this at the, at these years here. And what, what, what happens is actually they, they die of hunger because they, they eat all the vegetation. Yes. So they, the, the government here actually prefers that they are being, being shot and spent yes. correctly, I guess, and yeah. eaten. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, reindeer is, is very common. Uh, Moscox, you have to go a little bit further up north, uh, up to Kantlusorgan in that area. Mm -hmm. But if you go out in that area, there is, And it's almost yeah. I had I had this flight this summer actually that reminded me a lot a lot about uh, when you look at these old Western uh, American Western movies where you see a uh, big herds of bi uh, bisons. Bison, bisons, yeah, bison, yeah. yeah. And I actually had that with musk muskox this summer. I was flying up north, and there were so many muskox. Wow. I had this flashback as if it was uh, an old American cowboy movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, they yeah. are so impressive. These 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 animals, muskox are yeah. crazy. Yeah, but don't get get too close. They are. No, they no, can they be are very quite dangerous. Aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> Yeah. I know it's great. when when two males are are fighting and and hitting their their horns like it's uh, wow. yeah it's a lot of power it's such a crazy <laughs> sound yeah like two trains uh, head to head <laughs> exactly yeah. Wow. Yeah. and have you already been on a on a reindeer hunt with with your plane is it something you or is it something you're planning Uh, I have been, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's actually a funny discussion up here because uh, okay. I have shot uh, reindeer. Actually, uh, I hope no one in, in town here is going to hear this podcast here. But <laughs> uh, uh, there, it's not illegal. That's the thing about it. It's not illegal for me to fly out and shoot a deer and bring it home. Okay. But there is this because uh, I'm the only one who has this type of plane and mm -hmm. people are looking at me and looking at, the, at it as being illegal because there's no one that really uh, see the rules I actually not saying that you're not allowed to do it. Okay. So I don't tell much about it and I don't put pictures on Instagram and no. stuff like that about it as well. But uh, I, I can send you a picture later then you can see yeah. what it looks like when you have a reindeer inside your plane. <laughs> So. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm interested. <laughs> so I must say, I yeah. I have a French hunting license, but I'm fairly new because I did it in 2019, and uh, yeah. I'm more interested in in bow hunting, but because uh, I like to oh, shoot the bow, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and I have I think it's it's great. I mean, if you 
have the possibility to hunt by yourself and especially help the ecosystem currently because I find it so bad if these reindeers are dying because they don't mm. have any f enough food then yeah. well you can feed your family with these reindeers and and help the population as well and I wanted to ask you do you know why why there are way more reindeer at the moment at your place or is it because of global warming or they have that's one of the things that's being talked about. It uh -huh. is actually global warming because the lately, the, the many late years, it's been increasing. The temperature has been increasing here and mm -hmm. the vegetation is actually growing really, really well. And uh, and because of vegetation is growing well, the animal is feeding well and you get a lot of more animals. Yeah. So if you look just uh, back when I was a kid, uh, uh, a young or teenager or whatever, uh, there wasn't that many deer, and it was something again you had to apply for it to to be able to shoot one. Today there is so many, and uh, uh, I think the primary reason uh, must be that the, the global warming is actually doing something about this. So uh, uh, I'm not really an expert in this area, but I, I kind of uh, think this is something to do with it at least. And I assume. I mean, you don't have a lot of predators in Greenland. Our big ones, the only big ones able to hunt reindeer would be polar bears. But there are, I, I, I've never seen a documentary or whatever. I don't think reindeer are on the, di the normal diet of a polar bear. Usually they don't hunt no. these animals. They only. I think the reindeer is simply too fast for the polar yeah. bear. I mean, this is an, an amazing animal to see how it. It, it basically runs up the hills, and it's so fast. Mm. That it's 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 really amazing to see a polar bear, uh, not a polar bear, uh, a reindeer yeah. running into nature. Uh, I don't think, uh, to be honest, a polar bear will catch a reindeer unless it's already dead. Yeah. So, and uh, for the polar bear, I think it eats anything. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure everything that's meat on, it's gonna eat, yes. including human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's um um. So very little off topic, but there's an extremely good uh, coffee table magazine called Modern Huntsman. Uh, so I, I actually, I have one here I can show you. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. the volume five would, uh, is very interesting because there's an Inuit on the cover. And yeah. it's called, uh, it's the tradition volume. And actually there are reindeers on the back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it's really a it's it's a beautiful magazine because you know it's like 250 270 pages and it's about uh hunting obviously but most of all conservation and uh and it's i i i'm, I'm sure you will enjoy uh reading it and um and in in that volume 5 it's it's very interesting they have beautiful articles about about reindeer as well and uh and i think in the volume two or three they had an article about a problem of polar bears um uh, in can in north canada uh in specific settlements where they observed that more and more polar bears were moving in these settlements and and the, what do you do with them i mean you we nobody wants to shoot them obviously you want to let them in peace but how do you live with them as you said they are extremely yeah. they eat everything yeah. So and they look for food and that's the problem. Yeah. Actually, on the east coast of Greenland, they they have a similar problem as well with that. They uh, Greenland is uh, one of the few places you actually still have quota on polar mm. bears. It's not many, but you are actually allowed to shoot. I think it's it's very few hundreds, uh, maybe, uh, for the entire country of Greenland. Mm. Uh, but and this is another discussion that's been going for many years. If it should be a quota, if it shouldn't be, but if you look at the old traditions, they it is a part of the food chain, I guess, for for many years. So it's it's hard to get around. But but uh, in the east coast, uh, in in a place called it Itokotomit, <laughs> they actually see polar bears coming in quite often, and they they when the quota is used up, they try to scare them away. But I have a tendency to come back again, and they they basically walk amongst the houses, uh, and usually they ended up uh, being shot. Actually, As I've been in a helicopter where we, where we scared them off 
out of town, simply flew low and scared them out of town, and then flew back again home. And the day after, was back in They're town back again. again. Yeah, because when they are hungry enough, they they will seek towards human beings because there is always uh, uh, leftovers or yeah, that of people course. throw. So yeah, that's sad. So. Uh, Fortunately, again, we don't see many in in, in my corners yeah. of Greenland, at least. So, but uh, again, still carry a weapon on me all the time, just in case. Because yeah, <laughs> a hungry polar bear is quite big. Yeah. I mean, the big ones are quite big. <laughs> yeah, they're huge. Yeah. So uh, now let's 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 talk about your bird why so when when did it start for you so thinking about okay now it's the right time to maybe to get an airplane or and as you said you were first thinking about i know we were talking about the engine but why why did you choose a just aircraft superstall yeah well <laughs> the funny thing is my first choice was a savage <laughs> ah, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I actually wrote uh, with Slidden about the Savage back, back uh, must have been around 11, 12, somewhere in that range. Oh, okay. And because uh, I only had one issue with the Savage I didn't, I, I couldn't live with, I guess you could say. And that was I couldn't park it in, in my garage. I had to have something mm -hmm. I could park in my garage. So I had to have something with folding wings. So at the time, I was looking at the Kit Fox, of course, and the Highlander, mm -hmm. uh, which is just aircraft's other plane, yeah. I guess. And But Savage Cup was actually my preferred plane at the time because it was it was the Super Cup I wanted. It was the economical Super Cup. Uh, it had all the features as the Super Cup had. And uh, that, was the, that was actually the dream plane, the Super Cup at the time. But unfortunately, Savage didn't have any plans on modifying... Uh, Uh, the Savage Cops, any of them, to to wing folding system. So uh, the choice came at the time it was going to be a Kit Fox. So uh, back in 2012, I went to Oscars with a with a colleague and friend of mine to have a look at the Kit Fox. Mm -hmm. And uh, while we were in Oscars, they actually uh, they landed with this very dark, very black plane which were the Superstall. The prototype of the Superstall actually landed in, 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 uh, in uh, Oshkosh for, for the first time and was introduced. Ah. And uh, that became the choice when I saw that they had the correct landing gear, they had the correct slow-speed capabilities that I wanted, uh, short-field takeoff, short-field landing. Because for me at the time, it wasn't about going fast. It still isn't. It, it was actually about going slow and being able to find small spots and small places. And the Kit Fox wasn't all suited for that 100% at the time. It, it, had the, it didn't have the Cabane gear, and it, it had the spring-type gear at the time. And uh, and there was some things about it that wasn't stall enough, I guess you could say, at the yeah. Kit Fox. It was a faster plane and faster landing speed, faster takeoff speeds and stuff. I know it's been modified now to, to what Trent Palmer has, for instance, to, to being a very, very capable stall machine. But actually, at the time, it wasn't that capable at least a, a very stall-capable plane. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, so when the Superstall came to Oscars first time and I saw it and I was introduced and sat in it and played around in it, the choice was the Superstall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I, totally, I totally understand why you chose. Yeah. I think if, yeah. if you look at the map around you and uh, around your place, sorry, uh, And and the condition you had to to be able to have it in your garage, then uh, I think it's the uh, it's the well it's the only aircraft meeting all your requirements because yeah. you don't need a very fast airplane. Obviously, you have so many uh, perfect playgrounds all around your place, so yeah. uh, it's just uh, yeah. And so you bought I mean, a kit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I bought a kit uh, there, and uh, a couple of months after uh, after Oscars was done, they actually introduced it as a kit for the first time. So I was I was actually very early on the order list for the Superstall. Ah. And but uh, there was they had so so many orders at the time, so I didn't receive the kit before 13, uh, late into 13. Uh, wow. So I started building in 14 first. So uh, it took a little bit while from 
from I made the choice to actually start building it. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I had it brought to Greenland, uh, of obviously with a ship, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, I had put it in my garage and started from there on. I spent my spare time uh, building when I wasn't traveling. I, I, I traveled quite a lot in my work, so uh, fortunate for that, I have uh, quite a lot uh, free time when I'm off traveling, meaning that I'm compensated. Much of the traveling I do is compensated buying buying days mm-hmm. days off. Yeah. So I had time to to build. So, and my house, my garage is connected together, so I don't have to take uh, uh, shoes on or anything. So I walk straight from from the kitchen basically into my garage, which made it very easy to build yeah, that that's way. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, because then we are, we probably all know if you have to go somewhere, take the car yeah. and go to a garage or hangar or somewhere, it. it Building process is just going to take longer, longer time. Mm. Having it basically inside your house made it very easy to to start building. So I wasn't busy building it. I took the time I needed. And, uh, uh, so long, dark winter month. I spent quite a lot of time in the garage yeah. with a loud music and building, and had friends coming over. And yeah, I, I even have a little fridge down in my garage with beer. So. <laughs> <laughs> The best it wasn't build and beer. <laughs> yeah, airplanes and beer, mm. <laughs> building planes and beer. <laughs> yeah, this is not what I do on a normal basis at no, work. But uh. I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I work on helicopters and we have a fridge with beer. Well, I, I, we have yeah, we have a fridge with beer and beer at my work. So so yeah, <laughs> but and we work on motorbikes. But <laughs> and um. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you took your time, but um, I don't remember. Did you? Uh, what did you use to cover your plane? Is it Oratex? No, I, I think you covered it. Uh, no, I, I covered it with Superflight. Okay. Uh, at the at the time, uh, Oratex was uh, was getting mm. more and more discussions uh, in 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 the community, but I already had bought uh, Superflight at the time. Okay. Which uh, still to this day, I kind of, uh, uh, I kind of would have preferred having Ortex because one of the things that was really complicated doing in a garage mm-hmm. at home with the ventilation system connected to the house and all that is painting. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, when I when I painted my my plane in my garage with a not very good uh, uh, suction for for and uh, not correct temperatures and all that, so I, I had a lot of uh, running on the paint i guess okay so i would actually have preferred to this day to have built it with a more simple uh covering system like oratex where i don't have to paint afterwards okay so for the next next uh, project is going to be oratex maybe superstore xl or yeah no i'm I'm actually looking into to a, a super cop right now uh, oh. uh, who's been parked in greenland for almost 20 years and haven't flown, so uh, I'm, I'm trying to see if I can buy that as an, as the next project for my garage. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Is it where where is it in, in where is it in Greenland? Um, um, the company I work for is called Air Greenland. They oh. they had a flying club for for many years ago. They started up uh, primarily to to build hours for young. Uh, young pilots so they could build PIC time uh, so they bought a Cessna 172 and a Supercop at the time this is back in the 80s Okay. and uh, we still have both of them uh, the Cessna 172 uh, I spent 10 years flying that actually up here before I started flying my own almost 10 years at least uh, okay. and then the Supercop hasn't flown for more than 20 years now and it's still parked in a corner up at a place called Gangsluswak, which is another old military American military base. They have a lot of hangars uh, and a big runway. And uh, the company, my company, is uh, is uh, looking into selling both of them, the flying club planes, because uh, there isn't really uh, a need for a flying club these days here, uh, at least for the company. So they want to sell these two planes, and uh, so we have a possibility to open uh, a flying club community not just a, a company flying club so everyone else from town would be able to to participate i guess uh, so uh, 
That's great. Uh, I'm looking into this. It is, it is an old supercar from early 70s. Uh, and it, the engine needs to have an oil hole. The propeller needs to be replaced. It needs to be recovered. And uh, there's a lot of instrumentation that actually need to go out. It used to have, it's probably one of the few supercops in the world who actually has a HF built in. Oh. Uh, it takes a lot of power and mm-hmm. uh, it takes a lot of weight. I mean, the tuna, the HF tuna is yeah. uh, almost a weight of a person. <laughs> so, uh, so a lot of team modification and modification and building in more Alaska style with the mm-hmm. big uh, bush wheels, of course, and uh, even looking into uh, split, split flaps and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you uh, need double slotted flaps from from Airframe Alaska yeah. on it. Yeah, that could be nice trying. <laughs> I still have this dream as well, going to Alaska and fly. I met a, a guy for years back in South Carolina when I was training for the Superstall, who also have a Superstall. You you might even follow him on Instagram. Uh, Keith. Uh, Keith, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've contacted him a couple of times for a couple of years ago and wanted to go up and fly. So I haven't wrote, written with him for, for a long time now, but... I still have this hope and dream that uh, I can go to Alaska and uh, he can show me a little round. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Then I should I should join you in Greenland and then we should fly together to Alaska and then meet him. <laughs> and that then sounds I w- like a, that Dem- sounds like a plan. I'm already in. <laughs> that would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. And then you should follow me and then we we fly over to russia and then we fly in siberia and then we come back to germany and then you can continue and then fly back over england and iceland and come back to i mean i have around. dreams like that yeah i have dreams like that yeah, i mean cool. if, if it was possible that would be so cool i mean it, it is rare you get these chances so having your own plane is actually the first step to yeah. do stuff like that so <laughs> definitely yeah yeah, my my bird don't have the legs to do that. So I'm I I only have a bit under four hours flight time. So uh, so I only have I think sixty. I only have sixty eight liters. Okay, and yours is not experimental, is it? No, it's a, f- no. a European ultralight. You know, it's like light spot aircraft, but okay. uh, still. Yeah under the european the old well the uh the current still current regulation which is 472.5 kilos max takeoff weight okay with yeah. a safety chute yeah okay but um we had an opt out uh now some time ago and some countries now in Europe are moving to the opt-out, meaning they increase the uh, max takeoff weight to 600 kilos. That's so nice. Germany, yeah. for example, will have the same MO, uh, MTOW than the US LSAs, 600 okay. kilos with safety shoot. 13, 20 pound. Yeah, so class. it's, it's yeah. good. Yeah. And yeah. uh, France is a little bit different. They will have 525 kilos instead of 600. So they raised a little bit, which is good anyway. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's moving in Europe. So uh, yeah, I had mine uh, approved for actually 1550 pound, which is 703 kilos, which wow. is quite high. Yeah, uh, I never, I never flown with 703 kilos, but I have it uh, at 650 where we were two persons on board, uh, full fuel, of course, and all our equipment, emergency equipment, packets and stuff like that. So I did uh, precise calculations and the weight and balance to see how safe it was. And actually, it was no problem at all. It took wow. 650 kilos in the air with no issues. And it didn't use much extra runway as I would normally. Of course, the climb speed was <laughs> quite low <laughs> compared to, but, but still it was performing actually really well in that in that weight class so uh, which is a good thing so that's that's i guess the one of the big advantages of having experimental because the the structure is for the superstall approved for 1550 wow that's a lot yeah that's quite a lot yeah Yeah. and i mean you have these monster shock on the landing gear and uh, it's a quite a good safety aspect as well yeah yeah i mean it's not called superstall for nothing yeah, you mentioned the shoot as well. Uh, that was one of the things I was looking very much into as well mm. to build in a shoot. But actually, 
when the Superstall came, I actually took the, the idea of having a parachute in it, uh, took that away because uh, my theory and idea has always been the same as, uh, as the helicopter pilots have up here. You should always cross a fjord and be able to glide to the other side or glide back again. So basically every time I cross a, a certain length of fjord, I always climb up to 3,000 feet so I, I, I'm sure I can uh, go to each, each side of the coastline because okay. landing in water is, uh, is not something you want to no. do up here. It's simply too cold. Even though with the dry suit or not, everything, you will be cooled down very fast. So uh, the idea has always been that if I had to crash or if I have to go down, uh, I had to go down as slow as possible, meaning that uh, maybe I'll destroy the plane, but at least I won't destroy myself, meaning yeah. that I will survive the crash. Because uh, uh, parachute is, of course, good. Uh, but but it doesn't give you much chance to 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 point at something. Mm. I want to crash here. Uh, it's gonna take you where it's gonna take you. So yeah. if you take the shoot just on the coastline, it may bring you back to the water. Uh, so uh, a lot of things went into speculations about it, and I actually chose not to have to choose shoot because of that. I think so. uh, I I totally understand. I'm I'm a big advocate for the shoot. But again, mm -hmm. it's the same as the safety equipment uh, uh, topic. It really depends on where you live and where you fly. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you don't have a lot of big forest. <laughs> so, um, and I totally agree with you on on your comment with uh, flying. Uh, if you cross a fjord, then then you just fly up to to get your safety altitude, and you can you you could glide to one other shore. Um, there's a funny example on my side. When I fly to Italy, it's quite common for me to fly over the uh, Garda Lake, which is a big lake. And the f it's a big alpine lake. And on both sides, you have quite steep slopes, so quite steep mountains. And actually, if you fly over that lake from the north to the south, whatever... It doesn't matter if you fly two meters over the water or, uh, or yeah, okay, six foot uh, or, <laughs> I don't know, 3,000 or even 6,000 because if your engines quit, you are in the water anyway um, because the, the shore, it's so steep and there are so many people as well yeah. there having their houses and, and it's, a, it's a famous place for, for, vac for, for holidays. Yeah, very beautiful place. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> so uh, it's it's actually you have no possibilities to to crash land on the shore. No way. So yeah. your only safety is the water, and actually it's it's more safe because there are so many boats, uh, sailboats, or kite surfers in the north or whatever. So you will get help pretty quickly. And uh, I mean, the temperature is not a big issue. Even of course, uh, in winter uh, there are way less boats on the lake. But anyway, yeah, you will get help very quick. So in that case, for example, I'm very happy I have a safety chute because yeah. um, I don't want to normally crash land on the water without the chute. So I would probably l wait for the very last moment to use the chute to be sure I will land not far from the shore, but like vertically on the water yeah. Yeah. that's one argument and i would say sometimes if I've, i have no choice but to fly over a big forest and we have uh, a lot uh, in europe obviously and where i live as well then uh, if i if my engines quit over a big forest then i definitely don't want to crash land in a tree so i want to pull the chute and then come in the makes, tree like that. Um, ma makes much more sense in your case. I, yeah. I, I definitely see that, yeah. So as, as you just mentioned very correctly, it, it depends very much on, on your mission, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And um, talking about your Superstore, I, so I've been personally quite lucky because I, I had the chance to test fly the new Zlin Norden some month ago. Yeah, still and in years. 
<laughs> yes, sorry for that. And uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a beautiful machine. Um, the the slat discussion, I think, on on forums, on Facebook, whatever, is is quite interesting because uh, many people are comparing the northern slats and uh, and the superstall slats and uh, etc. Well, I, I, I like the slats of the northern because. Uh, both of them are connected by one rod, and yeah. it doesn't matter if if uh, the position they have, they always both have exactly the same. Yeah. But of course, I mean the the super stall is very interesting because you have more or less two slats per wing. Yeah. And the northern has one per wing. Yeah. So. Um, how is your feeling about the slats? Because obviously now you have a lot of hours on the Superstall. The spring slats on the Superstall, I think it's a very interesting system because you don't have to worry about them. They come out automatically yeah. depending on, on, on the angle of attack. Did you have some concerns sometimes because of crosswinds or is it really something it never happens that one slat would come out or um, I don't know. I, I think it's both systems are great. I'm, I think it's my opinion. It's just on my side, I have the feeling I would feel more comfortable on the Northern knowing like both slats are connected and, and they are fixed on one position until the point you want to move them. But of course, it's an uh, it's an increase of your workflow as a pilot because you have to think about them. As a contrary, yeah. on the superstore, you don't think you don't have to think about them. But uh, I don't know. Is it was it a strange feeling at the beginning to see them popping out or popping in? The the only strange thing is is seeing them pop out and pop in. Because mm -hmm. the funny thing is actually that you 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 can hardly feel it. You can hardly feel if if one slide is out, the other slide is out. Of course, you can hear and you feel the bang is coming there, and then you can increase your angle of attack more. But 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 as a flying thing, you you don't really feel any difference in in the plane. One thing I like about the slides, though, is uh, it's, it's it's a pre early warning, I guess you would call it, for for a high angle of attack. So let's say you do a, a hard bank to the turn or whatever, you always know. Now you have a high angle of attack, or maybe even close to critical angle of attack when the slat comes out. And so, so it's a, it's a kind of a good thing because they are really easy to control. I mean, when the slat pop out, you take your stick just an inch forward and they back in again. Mm. So they 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 are very precise on the angle of attack. At least if you have the engine power set at the same uh, same speed. Uh, so let's say you have a permanent uh, RPM. They are very sensitive when they come out, and then, I mean, just a, a little bit stick forward and then back again. So, so one thing I really like about them it, it is actually the fact that they, they for me work like a, 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 a early warning for for high angle of attack on either wing, because you actually feel sometimes as well if you have crosswind and you're flying crosswind, and then you do a bank, you have a tendency to to one side coming out faster than the other side. And that just tells you again it, it this wing here has a higher angle of attack now compared to the other wing uh, so 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 in that sense I, I actually like that but other than that I mean for for the flying itself uh, the feel of the plane it's hard to feel a, a, that you actually have them they they work by themselves as you say they don't uh, they don't have any uh, w workload on you I guess you could say and uh, uh, and, and, and if you are in calm winds and you have them both out and you kind of see them really stick when they when they stick out and they are permanent out there, now you know you are in a high angle of attack and then it's really easy to control the plane. I don't I try not to use the the the, the rudders very much in that in our ailerons of course and and use the rudders more yeah. and it's really easy to control with the rudders uh, when you go slow so you kind of have this mushy feeling i guess you could say yeah uh, yeah uh, but but in reality i don't think they are well i don't have that much experience i guess comparing to to for instance a super cop or, or or another slow speed aircraft who doesn't have slats uh, uh so I, I personally like them very much actually 
So, are they do, do you have vortex generators be behind yeah. the flat? Okay. Do you have them? Yeah, as well? I have vortex generators all the way down just behind the slats. So uh, it is quite capable of flying really slow this machine. Uh, I mean in in zero wind I can uh, cruise uh, with a very high angle of attack or a deck angle of 15 plus wow. and go straight and level with uh, with uh, approximately 25 knots. <laughs> so <laughs> it's and I mean you can do that with many planes, but then you will be in descent, I guess. But here you can do it straight and level with very little engine power on it. So it is a, it is a very capable wing, I guess you could say, uh, for, for this kind of uh, flying. But that, of course, gives you a, another disadvantage, and that's uh, that speed, I guess. Yes. So I guess yeah. any any pilot would prefer having a plane that can go fast and at the same time it can go slow, at least a, a, a bush pilot or a stall pilot. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's it's the plus point of the of the New Zealand Northern. The, the, the speed range. I was I was yeah. quite mesmerized from the speed range uh, because yeah. uh, it had twenty nines, and I was really cruising at at uh, at hundred miles an hour, with uh, I think at five thousand RPMs. So oh, uh, nice. yeah, so it was with twenty nines, and it was like okay, yeah. and. Um, and the stall speed was really, uh, really, really slow. I think uh, with power off, of, uh, power completely off, 58 kilometers per hour, something like that. So um, it's really nothing. Right, so, uh, yeah. And uh, they made I I didn't take it to to really uh, to a full stall with power and and all out and but they did it after and they had like 38 40 kilometers per hour so it's like nothing it's amazing yeah, yeah. but again i think I, it's gonna be a big seller from slim this yeah machine, i yeah. think so too yeah, yeah. but I, I think again you know it's like uh it really depends where you live and where you fly and what you want to do and um and in my case for example i have most of the time i have to fly some distance to reach uh, interesting spots to to for yeah. backcountry flying. Yeah. So so it's the it's what I'm missing on my bird at the moment because I'm only flying cruise at 135 140 kilometers per hour. Yeah, it's the same as me approximately. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's really slow when I have to fly yeah. like uh, yeah I don't know two minimum two hours to reach a spot. So yeah. so it starts to be a lot, and uh, and if I have like twenty thirty kilometers per hour headwind, then I'm really not. Yeah, flying. It at looks all. like you're hovering. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. so yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now there is no doubt this this machine the the, the Norton is gonna be a, a big seller from from Slim. It, yeah, it, so it's got all the capabilities that uh a lot of boost pilots are looking for good, yeah. sh good slow speed capabilities yeah. and at the same time really good cruising speed. speed. Yeah, yeah. So, totally. Yeah. And then it's just beautiful plane. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe uh, someday. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> but you have some really nice projects at the moment, so uh, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking now for one and a half hours. So I think we should uh, well, start to to head to to my uh, to my Bolter questionnaire. I hope it's starting to be a kind of tradition. But uh, do you have? I uh, the first question I always ask is uh, um, I didn't always ask, but um, so so it's quick question and quick answer. And the first one should be tail dragger or nose dragger. But I'm not sure you even f did you fly a nose dragger at all. I have uh, approximately 250 hours on a Cessna 172. That's still so, uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, no doubt a tail drag is more fun. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, fr from all the planes you've flown so far, which one, which one is your favorite? See, the thing is uh, I've only flown approximately, let me see... Seven diff, uh, six, yeah, seven different types of planes. So they are from Tech Nams to 172s, of course, to uh, 
to a robotic, uh, what is it called, uh, Belanca and the Superstall and the Highlander. And uh, so the one I have most hours in today is actually the Superstall. I have surpassed the hours I have in a, in a, in a, in a Cessna and, and the Superstall. Uh, I think the Superstall, for me at least, not being more experienced than I am, uh, is, is a very capable machine and it, it's, a, it's a safe machine to fly. Uh, I remember Steve Henry said in one of his uh, plane, even a monkey can land this thing. And uh, I kind of, uh, in, in, in many ways, agree with him because you can land like a monkey, but it still looks good with all the shocks you have. So <laughs> uh, it, it, it makes all your bad landings look good because it uh, just absorbs your bad landings. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and now uh, the truth is, I think uh, for me at least, the Superstall has, uh, is the one I prefer flying today. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. If I had to choose again uh, today, if I had to buy a plane, it probably wouldn't be the case. I probably wouldn't go with the Superstore. I would probably go with something like the Norton or maybe even a higher modified uh, uh, Highlander. Oh, really? Which okay. is a, uh, which is the kind of Steve Henry is flying. Maybe not with a, such a powerful engine, but uh, at least 150 power, uh, uh, Rotex 150. Uh, uh, 140 actually because uh, the thing I really like about the Superstall and the Highlander is actually you have a lot of space I mean you can lay down in it if you put the chairs down you can lay down in it no yeah. problem and you can you can stuff a lot of things in the back of course you have to be careful with the CT but because uh, you don't have uh, the tandem function so you, you can actually store quite a lot of weight in the back uh, and still be re- very well within your CT limits. Uh, so for that, I actually like the Superstore very much and the Highland as well. Uh, I guess it's a question of preference if you want a tandem or a side-by-side. Uh, you you sit a little bit uh, close to each other when you are side-by-side in, in a plane in this size here. Mm. So in, in that sense, I can see uh, in sitting in, uh, in uh, tandem is nice. You get more shoulder room and all that. Uh, but uh, but it's actually also nice to have someone sitting next to you because it's yeah. easy to communicate and talk to each other and uh, and it's not actually not that bad. I mean, you're not sitting that close, so it's uncomfortable. You are sitting close, but it's not uncomfortably close. So um, so uh, yeah, uh, I, I've flown uh, the Belanca, which is a tandem, and it was actually nice with a lot of space in it. But uh, I would probably go for something. Either a Highlander or the Norton, if okay. I had to choose today. Uh, the idea with the Supercop uh, I have right now is uh, it's it's as a, as a, as actually as a project uh, to build it up and then sell it in in shares for the flying community up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that way, I can I can buy my own share for 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 working hours, I guess you could say. Okay. And then we could have this plane as a share. So, because there is a lot of uh, when there is only one. Uh, push plane in, in in the entire country of Greenland. Yeah. There is, I get a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's sure. no doubt about it. Even, I mean, from out in town to to our commercial pilots here as well, uh, and they are very curious about this and uh, ask a lot of things about all the way down to engines, uh, landing gear, or where can you land, or what can you do, and uh, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, are they? Because I mean, it's fairly new. Uh, what you're doing in in Greenland, which is still uh, amazing me, because uh, I I've told I think some some podcast ago the first time I've seen uh, like uh, guys flying bush planes in Alaska. It was on a VHS we had at my gliders club in maybe 1998 or 99. I still don't know how it landed there, but uh, I've seen there and then forgot it and then discovered again. And like, you know, we are talking about now five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so there are so many possibilities where you live. And I'm oh, sure there are yeah. people around you, pilots, interested in what you're doing. And I mean, if you have, it's always better to have friends to fly with and for your own safety and for fun, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, I have one friend who uh, who has a... It's a seaplane, Lake Buccaneer. You have seen it in the pictures. And um, he's actually one of the pilots who've been flying in Greenland for the longest time as a private pilot because he used to live down south in the southern part of Greenland. 
and he had a rans. Uh, I think it's uh, I can't remember the number. It's one of the small rans uh, ultralights, and he he has more than five hundred hours flying in that in that area of South Greenland. Uh, and then he later on bought a uh, this uh, uh, Lake Buccaneers he has now. So we can't, of course, land the same places, but we have found quite a lot of places by now where where I can land on, on land just next to where he can land on sea. Uh, uh, but cool. we are actually the two only guys in Greenland at the moment flying private. So, uh, wow. which is kind of fun when you look at the yes. size of Greenland. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I actually uh, I wanted to ask you after that. So so if you prefer uh, bush wheels or skis or floats, is it something you're considering in the future? Maybe to get some skis or even thinking about float rating because you know it's like like there are so many fjords and possibilities. So uh, floats, to be honest, I haven't looked too much into, uh, especially not uh, with with the super stall. Then I would definitely choose something else to fly yeah. with. But the skis, I'm definitely looking into. Uh, I, that can extend my season for almost three months if I get skis. Uh, and actually, uh, Lars, that you talked with yeah. uh, on the last podcast here, he is uh, he had some cat drawings uh, of uh, some skis for oh. 29 bush wheels. So you didn't have to take your bush wheels off, and you can mount these skis here. And his idea was to have skis there was uh, that didn't have wires on them uh, so he he's he's kind oh. of designing some kind of locking system for them and uh, i wrote a little bit with him for, for half a year ago or something where i said i wrote to him if you have ever made if you get these made you know, think of me as well so i'll i'll buy a pair so i can test them for you on greenland because i did my my first uh, uh snow landings here this winter actually um, but that was on lakes where snow scooters have been running so there was hard uh, pretty hard snow easy to land on but it could be fun to land on all the lakes of course there was quite a lot of lakes in my area here uh, uh, where, where where skis would be nice so skis are on the list but they're not floats <laughs> okay yes yeah. true there are i see i'm looking at the map again there is a big lake yeah. so so south east of of the airport actually yeah yeah i think many of the lakes you're looking at is uh, thomas my friend who's got the lake ah. that's his playing area that's his playing ground <laughs> so that's yeah cool. he, yeah there uh uh about skis uh, i think uh anna emilson from from uh iceland he has built skis for his i don't know if he has 29s i think it's more 31s on his uh sq12 he has okay. these ones yeah. you should check uh stall iceland you know yeah he has uh, skis on, on yeah. his bush wheels i was very inspired by them when i saw them because actually it's very much the same idea i was thinking of and i think it was how uh, we got to talk about it with uh, with Lars actually, ah. and then he told me he had these ideas here, yeah. uh, but it should be something in that in that category because I need to be able to 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 uh, go out on the runway as well because we we have asphalt on runway even yeah. during the winter time because they they dry it up basically so I have to have the wheels sticking out on and skis yeah. on top of it so the protruding ones is the ones I'm looking at. Yeah. Uh. Obviously, you have a lot of you have gravel bars. You have uh, different on the shore. You have spots. You have beaches. You have mountain spots as well. Maybe I've seen already a few. Uh, a few. Yeah. yeah. Do you have some some preferred ones? So from all the ones you you are flying, you you found these these last years. Do you prefer to land on a on a beach or or on a gravel bar or? It's actually on a on a gravel bar. I have yeah. uh, one place I keep coming back to. Every year I've been there at least three or four times, and it's 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 a good flight. It's towards the ice cap. Uh -huh. It's very close to the ice cap actually, and it, the the whole area is filled with gravel bars. It's a uh, it's kind of a dried out lake and a river, uh, not lake. Yeah, and there is uh, tons of places you can land up there. But wow. the complete area in that part. Uh, It's one of my favorite part. It's the place I, I keep coming back to. So, 
and it's it's about uh, half an hour, a little bit more than half an hour flight from here. Oh, that's so, nice. Yeah. And my, if I want to land very close to town, I have uh, just on the opposite side, uh, if you cross the fjord here, I have uh, six or seven places I've landed. And one of the places I landed last year, I, I haven't landed there the three first years. I always looked at it and I thought it was a bit too too uh, bumpy. Uh-huh. Uh, but I landed on it this, this year very slowly and very carefully. And it seemed to be a very good place, and it's it's fairly long, and it's just on the opposite side here. So, less than five minutes flight, I have a I have my own little on- runway. That's funny. So that, that's nice. Yeah. Cool. Did you have one mishap already in the uh, in the backcountry when you were flying already? No. No, no, no mishap so far. So cool. <laughs> I'm crossing my finger, it's not going to happen, but. Yeah. Uh, in case of a mishap, I have, uh, I have, so I can repair at least my yeah. spare, if, uh, my tire, if I, uh, I bump into something. I have an extra propeller as well. I'm not carrying the extra propeller with me, but it's in my house, so I can have it brought at least uh, and bring the plane back home. Uh, but, uh, but no mishap so far. That's good. Uh, so yeah, well, maybe so far is not the correct word to say, but uh, yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. Okay, do you have a dream plane you would like to fly in the backcountry once? Well, uh, I think like many others, there was this uh, Alaska uh, double ender that was built oh, years yeah. back. That kind of disappeared, but uh, I had a lot of dreams about that having a, a double ender kind of designed uh, with four seats in it. But it's you know building from scratch. But uh, unfortunately, I'm not Mike Patey, so uh, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be in my dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We all have similar dreams. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. There was actually uh, there was a forum where some guy who do flight simulators, I think, he had designed a four seat uh, twin engine bush plane with 29 inch wheels and stuff like that. That actually looked like a very capable bush plane with twin engines, because uh, of course uh, having twin engine would would uh, yeah. be a very nice thing to have on a bush plane. Of course, the the hourly rate to fly would be a bit more expensive, but the safety thing would would increase, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, yeah, yeah. There is a quick. I, I can send you later uh, the documents. There is a German company who's working on a P fifty one Mustang replica as an LSA already some for some years, and uh, now they they finished the development and they should start. They are starting the mass production because they will get the uh, the papers from the the German authorities beginning of next year. It's actually a beautiful replica, uh, all of carbon and stuff. But the uh, the CEO of that company, he they started to work on an engine program, and I hope they will start to work on it as soon as that P fifty one Mustang replica is is on production. It's let's say uh, it's a V two engine, ninety horsepower injection, and the the their target is to make it modular. Meaning you can have one V2 and you can add a s- uh, no sorry you can add not had you can add a second V2 to it or even a third, but each engine block is separate from another. So of oh. course you only have one propeller, but mm-hmm. um, if one of these blocks have a problem and don't run then the other ones are still working. So you have the redundance of a multi-engine aircraft, but just with one propeller. That's a really good idea. Yeah, and they they even thought about adding an electric engine up front just for takeoff and maybe safety landing. So, so for example, the the smallest engine would be a V2 plus the electric engine motor. Uh, so you would have, I think it was like kind of 90 horsepower plus 50 from the electric engine, still plenty of power. But in Europe with a high density of population, it's quite a good idea because you could take off only on electric. 
so you minimize so your sound uh, print and then as soon yeah. as you are up in uh, in safety at, at the safety altitude and uh, the combustion engine is, is taking over and you recharge the battery so the target is you don't have a too big battery because you only need five minutes autonomy on electric which is plenty enough for a takeoff and then a, le a safety landing maybe but i think that redundance of several engine blocks but which are separate from each other more or less could be really really mm. interesting i really hope they will work on it that would be cool that, that is a really interesting thought and mm. it's actually i actually work with helicopters who have twin engine but they only have one axle to yeah. the main gearbox yeah. and so even though if you uh, I mean, if you lose the axle, you, you lose both engines anyway. So I guess it's kind of the same here. Uh, you have two engines, but one axle for a propeller. Uh, but still, uh, for, for for instance, if you look at the helicopter, with the, the, it's a 212, it's called, with just one axle. There is basically no history of an axle that breaks. So, uh, And that's why you, you don't see any accidents with this. So, But the idea is really good, having... A modular system build up. Mm. Sounds yeah. very interesting. I hope I hope they will work on that, and uh, yeah. because that yeah. would be uh, that would be a very promising engine, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And then mm, if you make it modular, you know, it's like depending on the customer, you can have uh, one block, two, three, and depending on the on the power you need, it's it's yeah. that would mm. be great. Yeah. Okay, now uh, I have to ask you the very last question. Uh, you, al you already live in a beautiful and, uh, let's say, uh, I don't want to say target-rich environment, but uh, <laughs> it's kind. <laughs> Top Gun should have been released already, so I should have said something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but uh, for for backcountry and bush flying, it's, I mean, your country is, as last said, so the last frontier for Europeans, maybe, or anybody. Yeah. Is, there, is there one specific country you would really dream of visiting with your plane or with another one to fly in? Yeah, Iceland. Iceland. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was actually, I've been, uh, I had this thought, I, I worked quite a lot in Iceland, actually, uh, with helicopters and uh, flown a little bit around in Iceland as well. And uh, looking at uh, uh, Arno, what is his name? Uh, Arno uh, Emilsson. Yeah, Arno, yeah. I mean, that would be a very nice plane because they have very similar uh, rules as Greenland have. It is kind of, uh, they have no restrictions on landing different places. And which is also the case here in Greenland. There is basically no restrictions on where you can land. It's a uh, uh, airspace, G, open fear, everything. So uh, yeah, that's that's nice. And Iceland is just a uh, it's a beautiful place, and it, I like Iceland very much. So Icelandics as well, actually. So, <laughs> uh, but flying to Iceland, crossing the Strait, Denmark Strait. Uh, I don't know no. with the, with a single engine, but. Having it shipped with a ship in a container is actually something I've been kind of dreaming of. And then fly for, let's say, a month in Iceland and having it shipped back again. Uh, so that, that could be something I would like to do in the future. And another dream, of course, is, uh, is uh, circumnavigate Greenland, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a little bit difficult because uh, when you go all the way up north, there is uh, almost 800 miles between fuel. So uh, you have to have a lot of fuel with yourself. Wow. Or have a fuel brought out okay. uh, with a twin order. Uh, so, uh, but that could be another. But but it's it's a very sparsely populated up there. There is no stations, no people. So, the safety factor is of course uh, an issue up there. So uh, you have to. But 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 still, it's a dream. And, yeah. Uh, everything starts with a dream, I guess. <laughs> I I totally agree. Yeah. And I think we so, should but, we should conclude on that. Yeah. <laughs> we we, yep. we we must not stop to dream and uh, and work on the realization of of these dreams. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Cool. Awesome, Rene. It's it's been really really a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah. Very pleasurable talking to you as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and sorry for the small connection glitch we had. 
between Greenland and South Bavaria. There's also one small point I would like to inform you about. We talked about that after we stopped recording. Of course, uh, we should have talked about the Greenland Air Trophy, especially because René won the first edition at home. Um, I plan on making a podcast specifically about that awesome trip Sam Rutherford is organizing and already has organized. Um, he had planned already a new one for 2020 with way more crews than in 2019. So we'll come back to that topic very soon and I hope it will bring the motivation to some of you to jump into that adventure flying to Greenland and I'm very sure because of René we will see new bush pilots flying around Greenland in the future. So take care and see you on the next podcast.